Welcome to DLA Piper's Tech Law podcast series with me, finance and fintech lawyer Martin Bartlem at global law firm DLA Piper. Welcome to today's podcast in which I, together with an eminent industry expert, will be exploring the underlying technology driving ICOs. The development of blockchain, and more specifically the ERC20 token standard, has revolutionized how we see interactions between users across a network. This has provided a smart contract sitting on a blockchain which provides an extremely flexible investment tool which is now being widely used in financial markets. I would like to introduce uh, Fabian uh, Fogelsteller, who's lead uh, DApp developer at Ethereum. Uh, he's going to share some thoughts today with us on blockchain, tokens, smart contracts, and the standards that we need to be able to develop in this developing space. Yeah, hello, I'm Fabian Vogelsteller. Um, I work with the Ethereum Foundation since two and a half years, and I built uh, most of the user-facing application kind of like coming officially. Uh, that includes the MIST browser, a browser for decentralized applications, uh, the Ethereum wallet, um, building developer tools which uh, are used by a lot of the developers which interact with Ethereum. And that's mainly focused on JavaScript developers, for example. And I also, together with Vitalik, introduced the ERC20 token standard, which is today the basis of almost all these ICOs. So Fabian, uh, first of all, for the benefit of people who are not as familiar with blockchain and tokens as we are, could you explain uh, how the blockchain works and where you see the benefits? Blockchain is kind of like this new technology um, which is basically a combination of like all existing technologies. So this is like tech we already have since like the 70s basically. So we have already digital signatures, we have already peer-to-peer -peer networks. But it brought it together in this nice combination, which creates this complete new thing we call the blockchain. And the blockchain is a, basically just a consensus network of computers. So it's a network of computers which can reach a consensus within themselves based on uh, cryptography and uh, mathematics. And what's the relationship between the blockchain and tokens and how tokens work on that, on that basis? The blockchain, at least the permissionless blockchains, do have a token natively because it's, it's required to give an incentive to run the network and to also secure the network. And it's a very interesting combination of um, incentives, right? So the miners, they basically mine purely out of the reason that they want to get more of the tokens and because they have the value. And uh, the people using the network basically want to use the network or either want to transact Bitcoin or want to use the smart contracts on Ethereum. They basically need Ether as the gas to, to interact with the network. So there's like these different incentives, but it works so well that it's a self-accelerating system in a way. And so we have the native tokens of the blockchain. And in recent months, um, due to the standard, the ERC20 standard, which I and Vitalik proposed, and this became the center because everybody started using it. Uh, we now have a lot of different tokens, which are not necessarily blockchain native currencies or cryptocurrencies. So, so yeah, it, it's really a good point because, I mean, a lot of the ICO um, issues or potential issues that we're talking with um, are looking at using the ERC20 uh, standard as the base for, for the token offering that they are interested in, in, in developing. So can you just explain how the ERC20 uh, standard works? Yeah, so the ERC20 standard is a simple, a simple interface standard. So basically it just says, okay, 
If you make a smart contract which represents a token and it holds account balances internally of accounts and the token balances, if you are uh, using these four or five functions like the balance off and the transfer function and the approve and the transfer from function and you fire these events like a transfer event or an approve event, then basically every wallet and every exchange is able to integrate your token easily because they have to only program this whole stuff once and they point to different addresses and that's how they can interact with different kind of tokens. So it's a very simple interface standard which only defines the interface of the token. It doesn't define the actual uh, functionality internally. And um, people use it because they can basically create tokens which have all kind of functionality, but still are working in wallet and exchanges everywhere. So, so it's really the, the network effect that because uh, users um, in whatever, in any jurisdiction around the world will understand what it is they're looking for with regard to the basic information in relation to coding or the information contained in that, that token offering. There's a, a consistency across the, the, the international network in terms of the information that's being provided. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? In, in a way, I mean, this is what the blockchain gives you. It basically gives you this, this transaction layer everybody can trust. Uh, but ultimately, what the benefit of the token is that it has the same kind of base layer uh, like another blockchain. So basically you know that when you have the private key which holds the tokens, you're the only one who can move those tokens. Given the fact that the token smart contract is actually programmed to do so, it could be also that they have some kind of like a, a owner can do everything functionality. That could be also the case, which is very different from a native blockchain token, where it's inherently programmed the way that they can't, that there is no owner. Um, so tokens can be different, but ultimately they're also based on this public-private key cryptography. So you are able to like own your things using your private key. Everybody else can see or can send balance uh, to your public key. And on the end, ultimately for what they are used in the ICOs and all of these different ICOs we see, it's very, very different. And right now we are seeing a lot of uh, non-blockchain projects making ICOs while in the past and it's not even so long, <laughs> the last year basically. Uh, we've seen mainly like blockchain or technology projects using tokens. And there, the tokens actually had a functionality within the system. So it was required to have a token. Now we see more and more where the token it's, itself is actually questionable sometimes. And uh, so here we have this traction of, hey, oh wow, I can make like, I can raise money really quickly and for the people like uh, the investors itself, it's very convenient because you only have to send a transaction and you get your tokens allocated back. You can move them freely around like currency. You have the same flexibility. Try to do that with equity or shares. It's like not that fluid <laughs> or fungible. Um, and that's really the why it makes so much sense and why it's fun. But now people want to use it for all kinds of different things which are not necessarily technology-based and Obviously, there we need like more clearance, more uh, regulation if people want to issue securities, for example. But at the same time, ideally, program that in, right? 
rather than... Okay, so, so, so just to try and summarise, so my understanding of, of, of what we're describing. Um, so whereas the, um, a strict cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin or, or Ether um, is operates across the blockchain on a consensus network as you've described, but fundamentally it's really just a, 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 a numbering, um, you know, a reference number which reflects a, a, a holding of an interest. Whereas the token offering operates, again, on the consensus network using blockchain as underlying technology, but because of the smart contract elements to it, it's possible to build in um, more functionality, so more rights and, uh, and obligations in, in, in a coded format or that can be reflected in the real right, world yeah. as, as rights and obligations. Yeah. Um, and that's the real benefit of, of of, of being able to develop the token. And the ERC token standard is just a way of trying to have these various tokens conform to an, a, basic a, a number basic of basic rule. sets of, yeah, yeah. of rules. It's very simple, it's actually just five functions. And we already actually uh, see that people use the uh, Succeeder, which is ERC 223. <laughs> uh, it's actually the same standard, just with a ex uh, small extension that when the token makes a transfer and makes a transfer to a smart contract, mm -hmm. it has to notify the smart contract. And right. currently this was not the case. So smart contracts who receive tokens never knew about it, which was fine for certain cases, but it can be a restriction. So we learned, basically, we started with the most simple set and now we extend the functional based on a need. And that's exactly how standards should grow. Basically, they should grow based on requirements, improvements, rather than like trying to create this overall everything containing framework and we figure out, oh, that was all a bit stupid. <laughs> With the difference that we have also um, here technically, uh, not only like it can represent this or that, and, but it can actually have a technical functionality. And that's what, for example, a native blockchain token does. There's a technical inherent necessity for the token to exist. Because without the token in the network, there will be no accounting. People could like spam the network, could overuse the network. Um, there would be no incentive for miners to run and maintain the network because they get nothing out of it, mm -hmm. you know, they don't do mm -hmm. this voluntarily. And it's basically inherently important. So, so in, this, in that sense, the, the, the token is the kind of the unit of value in that network. It's the, it's, if, it, if you like, the token is the word for describing what the unit which actually is valuable yeah. on, that, on that network. Well, let, let, me, let me take that, because you touched on this you know, really important point around um, you know, how people are looking at tokens and this expansion of rights and obligations that's now reflected in the token. And the, um, you know, that, that you know, then passes into this area of regulation. Uh, because of when cryptocurrency was really just a, a reflection of a, of, a, of, a, of a kind of a numeric value in an accounting system on a mm -hmm. global basis, and people applied a value to it or, or not, uh, depending on what they believed, you know, it, it may or may not, uh, it may or not be, be tradable for. Um, most jurisdictions had viewed that as, as as not a security in itself, and therefore it's a, it's 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 outside the regulated system. But now that we're having tokens which carry rights and obligations, there is obviously the risk or, or, the, or the reality is that a lot of those type of tokens are, are reflecting similar rights to, for instance, a, sh a share right or a debt right, um, which would then be caught within the regulated system. Um, 
well, you know, is, that, is that correct? Is that a correct analysis that in terms of how you see the, the functionality of the token, you're potentially you know, being treated as a regulated asset in the, in the regulatory system? Yeah, so it could. It really depends on what the token is made for. I and mean, right now we see a lot of like, uh, basically, people see, okay, I can make a lot of money in an ICO really quickly. So they think, oh, I want to make an ICO but they're not necessarily need the token in their system. So they invent some kind of token just to have something to sell, mm. which is inherently mm. stupid. Mm -hmm. So that was very different than before, like I said, that because we had actually uh, like blockchain decentralized, uh, other new blockchains uh, or other decentralized systems which actually need a token inherently to function. And now we see these people creating companies and projects where the token is actually an add-on and in fact, uh, more like a barrier mm. <laughs> for because for example either for people to entry or to enter the system or like they, they shoehorn in a token just to like have something to sell but the whole system is, was built without that in the first place mm -hmm. so that's actually problematic in my opinion so what people really want to do they want to sell equity sometimes mm -hmm. they want to basically simply have some kind of like a dividend reward based system and they tokenize that and um, there are regulations for that, right? Mm, so it's kind right. of like a regulated and, and clear space. And it doesn't make much sense here. Uh, I would rather say, for example, there are projects like Neufund, which gives you a platform which is kind of regulated, uh, which can actually sell real-world equity, but tokenized. And that makes a lot more sense. And I really would like to see all these ICO go on platforms like this and sell actually equity because it's what they wanted to do in the first place. And let the uh, like the, the let's say free ICO is more for the actual like innovative new uh, more decentralized projects because that does make sense. Yeah, I, I, I think you make a really good point because in, in a sense the flexibility or the the, the 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 range of capability that is now can be built into a, t a token means that it can cover a fairly wide range of different types oh, of underlying. Uh, so we're really inventing almost a, a new form of digital asset. In fact, we could even tokenize almost everything. Yeah. We could tokenize uh, houses. Uh, we could tokenize things, time, ownership of all kinds. We could tokenize workforce. We could tokenize everything. And actually, it makes sense because it is a very useful system of accounting. And you could distribute that even like we can also have tokens which have no monetary value, like pure reputation based uh, mm -hmm. tokens. Mm -hmm. And through that, like come up with a score of a person's reputation. Mm -hmm. So token is a really good thing because it's a unit of account and yep. it can represent all kinds of things. So it's great and this will all come up uh, given the creativity of people. But um, yeah, now we right now see these companies trying to raise money uh, and they think they, this, is, this is a smart idea <laughs> to yeah. do this in an ICO. <laughs>
ultimately we can also come up with like, hey, what is a good ICO? How should a good ICO look like? How actually should the aftermath should look like? And we can program this all into the smart contract. Mm -hmm. So we can actually say, hey, money is only released in these steps based on these roles, which might be just voting. Maybe there is a fair distribution or maybe there is a way that uh, you can refund while the ICO is running, which I personally think is a very good idea. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, what we need is also a lot of governance, right? Mm -hmm. So like the technical standards create this kind of network effect because suddenly things are interoperable and you can have different companies and projects doing things which are inherently interoperable. Uh, but ultimately, we also need governance and all of these things. And ideally, we program that into the smart contracts. And that is, for example, something beautiful where the regulatory can actually have a complete new uh, grip on existing systems. Rather than saying, hey, please do that, they're going to say, okay, if it has this kind of uh, code properties here, you can only do that <laughs> and not different. So it's actually more like a proposing actually technical standards because what we do here is we inher inherently translate logic, business and regulatory logic into code. And that's what, for example, the blockchain already does. And uh, the other thing you mentioned, uh, ERC identity, that's another uh, standard I proposed and it's currently discussed in the community. And it is about basically what could a identity on the blockchain look like, right? How could an identity look like? And this in the smart contract standard also is again defining the interface, saying, okay, there are like functions to add and remove keys, there's functions to execute through your identity, like a proxy system. So you can act on the blockchain as your identity. There's a way that you can add claims, that you can approve claims to be added to your identity. But it ultimately doesn't really even define how exactly claims look in detail, where they are stored or how they are accessed. It only really gives this general shell. And therefore, it gives the most amount of flexibility in ex for experimentation so we can figure out uh, how to go forward in this. So, so this would be uh, almost like a, like a, a, a digital global passport in a sense. It could be that, it could be also just a user profile, it could be also uh, your reputation uh, system or your social profile, it could be anything, right? Because the shell is that, that flexible. But ultimately it would be the reference point for you. Yeah. And you could probably build multiple profiles, but ultimately we will settle probably with one or maybe two, like your gamer identity and your real world identity mm -hmm. or your professional uh, uh, investor identity and your real world, or maybe it will be the same. So, and, and potentially this is something that could be used, for instance, to uh, satisfy uh, KYC sure. and AML type uh, questions, which obviously have been one of the areas that people are concerned about in the cryptocurrency blockchain token space. Um, how do you identify uh, and how do you appropriate, do appropriate checks in a, in a, mm -hmm. in a, a cryptocurrency You could completely automate that, right? You could, do the, you could automate these checks in the ICO smart contract itself. So basically in the moment when the money comes in, the ICO smart contract can make the KYC check given that your identity has the right claims from the right claim issuers, which obviously is the, the only determined uh, nation you can, you can use here. Um, but basically, yeah, it can be all automated, but ultimately it will really, will really depend on the ecosystem built around that, like the claim issuers which will uh, issue claims and uh, what people will take as a valid uh, issuer or claim. So if I, if, so I, if, I, if I try to understand that, so, so for instance, if you were doing something that was in the securities space, 
-hmm. you could build into the smart contract, which is uh, a function of the token, yeah. um, a requirement that the participant in that transaction um, had been verified as having this particular authentication of its identity, for example. So, so even without a third party going and checking this, the actual contract, the token contract, the contract itself, itself could automate that so that we could sm significantly simplify yeah. the process of transacting. Ultimately, the ICO would know what kind of claim issuers it trusts mm -hmm. in, in beforehand, right? Or, or, or the regulator could establish which kind of entities would be valid. Okay, yeah, exactly. So if you're an ICO, then it has to have a claim issuer from the UK, mm -hmm. uh, claim type zero, maybe biometric data, and a claim issuer uh, from the UK Postal Service, a claim type two is your address, and it will not actually check your data. It will only check that somebody, like these, these entities issued mm -hmm. the claim about you, mm -hmm. and because everybody is trusting these entities that they did it properly, you don't even have to check the data. And ultimately, you can engage with people without need to know your na their name, where they live, or even how they look like, but still be sure that you're dealing with a person and it has probably an address which was probably verified and probably have a name too, mm -hmm. <laughs> and is a human. But that's actually enough. So we don't have to, what, what the current KYC looks like is everybody gathers every data again and stores them again and again and again. It's even worse than a blockchain because everybody's like replicating multiple times the same data sets, then tries to keep them up to date, which is like not possible. <laughs> and uh, um, it's kind of like this kind of like data collecting in many yeah. vaults and there's uh, no control as a user a huge, over where this is. I agree, a huge amount of waste in the system and the costs mm -hmm. involved in doing this. And it's really slowing down the, the financial system as people are trying to deal with um, these particular types of issues. So it's, it's a really interesting angle that by using the technology and even building in some regulatory standards into the smart contract itself and having some, some, some standardization around what type of information or what type of, um, of, of, of verification can, in a way, right? Yeah, can authenticate and verify that information. We can actually provide a, a stronger and more stable system in a, in a digital way. Um, at the same time, even having more freedom because the, the smart contract identity can be self-sovereign. Mm -hmm. It can be absolutely controlled by me. So I determine whatever is attached to my identity and I'm the one who can also remove it if I don't like it anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's like it gives this freedom but at the same time it gives this kind of like automated verification and so on. So, so you'd be able to control the information that's part of your identity but because of the, the, the let's say the regulatory elements built in, it may well be that if you don't have certain types of information through that system that you wouldn't then be eligible to trade a, say a particular type of security contract. Yeah, so we can. I mean, there's obviously the balance here between privacy and, yeah, and the public knowledge, right? Absolutely. Because a, a blockchain is inherently public, at least yeah. the current ones. So you would only put their data, which or like metadata, which doesn't say much or nothing about you, which is like in any kind of uh, form or a danger. Uh, if you have to provide a, like, let's say, like a secret claim or something, for example, like I, I have a credit worthiness. Mm -hmm you might not want to send it to the smart contract. The smart contract, it would be inherently on the blockchain once it was sent. Yep. So probably they have to then have off-chain systems which like feed in as an oracle into the smart contract or something like this. But this is all about architecturing and thinking out the systems. Before we, we, we finish, maybe just to ask for your views on you know, whether you think this 
this use of technology is going to continue to grow and develop um, and be used more widely, particularly in a financial context. Do you see a long-term future for, for, for this product in global financial markets? If you talk about blockchain in general, absolutely. If you talk about Ethereum in specific, likely. But ultimately, it's an open source platform. If people stop using it, then they stop using it. Um, there is also no one company behind it. There is the Ethereum Foundation like supporting its development and education. And right now, the Ethereum blockchain is the most used one in across the industry everywhere. And uh, it is the most evolved one also, and has the most like brain power and innovation in it. And currently, if we see other blockchains coming up and promising like faster transactions and whatnot. They most of the time, and if they're smart contract based, they most of the time even use the EVM, the Ethereum virtual machine. So they even build on top of that, even in a different way. So ultimately, the innovation lays there. But I don't know. I mean, Netscape was also big. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. around anymore. Yep. So <laughs> it's not a promise for anything. But the good thing is, uh, the goal is on the end uh, to, to have a viable functioning technology. It doesn't matter if this is Ethereum or what else. Um, but I do see that this will be a lot used in the future. And I think the non-financial use cases will be a lot more important and even more interesting and way bigger than the financial use cases we see, mm -hmm. to, see today. Yeah, so it's so like, like medical applications and yeah, real estate registers. All kind of and, forms of verification and, so and ownership transfer and uh, all new ways of how people can uh, cooperate and interact together in a socio-economic way. Uh, so I think we will see a lot of experimentation which we cannot really even foresee right now once we have these building blocks. Well, wonderful. So, Fabian, it's been fascinating to talk with you about, uh, about this technology and, and, and how you see this developing. So I'd like to say thank you. And, sure, um, thank you. you know, it's been a real pleasure to speak. Thanks to Fabian Fogelsteller at Ethereum for sharing his insights on blockchain, tokens, smart contracts, and standards. Do look out for further podcasts from the global business law firm DLA Piper as we explore the influence of emerging technologies in business and wider society. The first three podcasts focusing on fintech and artificial intelligence are already available for you to listen to on our website or maybe access through iTunes and SoundCloud.